Well, this morning it is our privilege and a blessing to have with us one of our missionaries. And I dare say one of my favorite missionaries because I've known him for so long. He's been a very dear friend. Now, in case any other missionary is watching, we love all of our missionaries, right? Let me make that clear. But um, it's good to have uh, Ethan Shields and his family uh, with us this morning. Uh, as I said, one of our older, uh, oldest friends um, Ethan has been on the mission field literally all his life. I was telling the Spanish service, he's been in the mission field for 38 years. And when you see him, you're going to go, wow, he looks very young for being in the mission field for 38 years. And he's 38 years old. He literally was born in the mission field. He was born in Mexico. His grandparents uh, were missionaries. His parents are missionaries. And uh, he has continued in that as God called him into the mission field and his wife and family and uh, for the last five years they've been in the country of Panama working with the indigenous people there uh, they're close to if you know a little bit about uh, the country of Panama the the city of David is the closest city to them they're about an hour or hour and a half outside of that uh, close to the reservation there that uh, Panama has for their indigenous people and uh, and so uh, brother Ethan and his wife ministered to there to the people they're working with different churches uh, there as they, as they do that. And one of the things that makes his ministry so unique is that uh, Ethan is actually a pilot. And he's a pilot missionary. Uh, the Lord provided several years ago uh, for them. He actually built his own plane. And he needed to build a special plane for the ministry that he is doing there. He needed a plane that actually can uh, land on kind of rough terrain, can land rather quickly, can get off quickly as well, get back into the air. And, uh, and so God provided that for them. And, uh, and it's just been a, a blessing to see as God's been using them there on the mission field uh, to reach the indigenous people. In fact, this morning before he comes up, uh, we're actually going to be watching a, a small video of the ministry that God's called him to there in Panama. But before that, let me just say that uh, it's, it's been a, a wonderful, wonderful privilege to, to have him as part of my life, as a close friend, uh, someone that's been an encouragement to me uh, and to our church, someone that's been faithful, uh, someone that I can say walks with God. And, and I'm thankful for any friend that God brings into my life that is walking with him, that can challenge me in my Christian life, and he has done that. And he's been such a blessing, and I know that this morning as he brings the message, he's going to bring something that will challenge us, something that will encourage us out of God's word. And so after we watch his video, Brother Ethan, if you will, you can come up and share with us what the Lord has laid on your heart for us this morning. who had the privilege of growing up on the mission field in Mexico. God has My name is Ethan Shields. I am a third generation missionary who had the privilege of growing up on the mission field in Mexico. God has blessed me and my wife Beth with four children. We have been on the mission field since 2012 and currently live in Panama. The tropical country of Panama is world famous for its beautiful beaches, premier coffee, and above all, the Panama Canal. Located between Costa Rica and Colombia, Panama is home to 4.1 million people 
and boasts seven different indigenous people groups. It's a modern country with a booming economy that still retains deep historical and cultural roots. We minister alongside a great group of people. Our main base is at New Hope Baptist Church. It's from here that our team plants new churches and has a girls' home, kids' clubs, a deaf ministry, and much more. Our team is committed to shining the light of the glorious gospel of Christ to the Panamanians, with a focus predominantly on an indigenous people group, the Nobe. The Nobe people live on a comarca. The Nobe Bucle Comarca is home to almost 300,000 people. The Nobe live a very simple lifestyle and are typically subsistence farmers, workers on coffee plantations, or fishermen. Although their clothing is brightly colored, their souls are ensnared in spiritual darkness. The Nobe have their own religion called Mamatada, and their trinity is made up of Jesus, Mary, and Satan. Their symbol is a cross with the snake coming out the side, and they hold services at night to invite spirits to possess them. But praise the Lord, there are already about 15 Nobe pastors, along with many more indigenous lay workers, who are answering the call to reach their own people. Our team works with 20 different churches in this mountainous region and has seven more church plants. Our goal is to have 100 churches by the year 2030. To help us reach this goal, our team has started a Bible institute to train pastors and leaders for the ministry. Seminario Bautista Nueva Esperanza furthers the Bible training of these national leaders, and we now have two locations. These pastors and our team are establishing churches on the edges of Comarca and are working towards the interior. But giving ample attention to new church plants is much more difficult when most people live in secluded villages that are only accessible by foot. The Comarca only stretches about 40 miles from north to south, but the terrain goes from sea level up to 9,000 feet in elevation and back down again. Because of this rugged mountain terrain, there are no roads or electricity in the interior of the Comarca. Communities that may only be 10 miles away require a two-day hike. However, many of these hiking trails become practically impassable during the eight-month-long rainy season. This makes it extremely difficult, and in many cases, very dangerous to enter to evangelize these people. This is the reason for aviation. In order to help us more effectively plant churches, God led me to build an airplane that is especially designed for landing on rugged, unimproved airstrips in very short distances. These unique capabilities make it ideal to meet the demands of this mission field. It makes these isolated villages accessible and enables us to more effectively evangelize them. God has already provided 23 acres of land on which to build a runway and hangar. Now we need to raise the funds to build these so that we can bring the airplane to Panama and see this ministry take flight. The purpose of missions is not to evangelize the whole world. It is to plant churches where they currently don't exist 
and then train the people to reach their own world. Our airplane, paired with the effectiveness of a team of national pastors, is a perfect match. We are multiplying church planning efforts exponentially. We invite you to help us take the gospel to the regions beyond. Good morning. It is a privilege to be here today. Before I get into any update or the uh, message, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of our heart for your hospitality and for, uh, for just allowing us to be here with you guys today. And a special thanks to Jeremy and Rochelle. They've had us in their home for the last two weeks. Um, I know that that has been a sacrifice. Um, they actually put the air conditioner warmer just for us because we're not used to AC. And so, um, and so they, they've suffered for two weeks for us. And, and I really, really appreciate that. Thank you guys so much. They took us out to eat. They took, us to, uh, they took the girls to get their first Build-A-Bears, and that was really fun. Uh, they were a little shy at first, but they, they, uh, they got over that, and they had a lot of fun. And uh, so thank you guys, uh, thank, and thank you guys for being so sweet and having us in your home, letting us uh, just enjoy you guys and your house, and um, just even letting us have privacy. Thank you guys so much. Um, that, that's really, really hard to do, to, to host uh, thoughtfully like that. That's very hard to do. Uh, and they did a fantastic job, Class A. Um, best host of the trip so far. Amen. Thank you. Um, there's so many things I want to tell you guys. Uh, we've been there for five years, and, and, and I, I only get a short amount of time to, to tell you everything and to report everything, and so um, it's just not possible to do everything. I just want to tell you what's next for Missions Beyond Aviation in Panama is we've already built the runway. We raised the money. Praise God, all of that money came in to build the runway. We needed $35,000, um, and every single penny came in before we began work. Absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, super, super pumped about that. Uh, now what's next is to get the runway certified. So we have a runway. When I built the airplane, I had a finished airplane. I mean, we had tested the engine and everything, but it had never left the ground. The FAA examiner came and he looked at it and I said something about the airplane. He goes, that's not an airplane. I'm like, what? He goes, that's a pile of parts until I say it's an airplane. Like, okay, all right. Well, the runway is just a long road right now until the, the, the Panamanian version of the FAA says it's a runway, okay? That's what's next, so please pray with us. Um, we're going to be traveling until November. We head back in November, Lord willing. We'll be there, um, and we're going to start the paperwork. It's not an expensive endeavor, the certification of a runway. It's just, you know, Latin America and its government, and so there's going to be, you know, it, 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 fee-wise, it's only about anywhere from three to $5,000. I'm not exactly sure how much the lawyer costs uh, for that. But um, so it's not super expensive. It's just, you know, that the government will actually grant the permission for the runway. So on that note, please, back in the foyer, there's, some, there's our little display, and there's prayer cards. Please feel free to get one, two, uh, take them, uh, pray, pray for us. Please remember to do that. Put them in your Bible, in your fridge, whichever you visit the most often. Amen? 
Um, so we, uh, we just, we're, we're so grateful to the Lord. God has given us so many blessings on this trip. I, I seriously feel like a passenger on this trip. We, we started in, in Panama, and, and Beth, Beth and God are my witness. We said, this feels weird. This trip feels different. And um, we started this trip. We had five new churches scheduled, five new churches. We had several other churches, including this one that already support us, scheduled to report. But we had five new ones scheduled to report, uh, to present the ministry. By the time we were in the States and we were like week one or two, we had 12 new churches scheduled to present. And I didn't call a single one of them. The Lord put it on their heart to call us. And so that is just absolutely amazing, mind-blowing uh, what God has done. Uh, our car, we didn't have a car to drive in the U.S. We had no idea what we were going to do, um, send the church, going to loan us something or whatever. My pastor said to go talk to an owner of a dealership, and he sent us to a rental company that he owns, and they, he gave us a car to use for the four months that we're here for free. Um, so huge blessing, huge, huge blessing. So when you go in the, in the parking lot and you see our car, don't think, hey, this guy doesn't need our support. Look at, look at his ride. No, that's a blessing from the Lord that God put it on his heart to lend us for the trip, and we're extremely grateful to it. Every time I get in the car, I'm like, man, I'm so grateful for this car. It's so nice. We're driving to Colorado tomorrow, and we have a reliable car to, to get there. So I praise the Lord for that and for his provision. All right. I could literally talk all morning until we're all starving about what God's done and the blessings and the trials, the lessons I've learned. But I want to get to this message. Uh, I, have, I have something for you this morning that God's laid on my heart. Uh, I, I, I labored and prayed over what, to, um, what to, 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 to bring to you guys this morning. And um, literally, I felt hindered. Um, I don't know how, how else to put it other than that. And then uh, God gave me very clearly this message to give to you guys. And so I just want to remind you, I didn't write the Bible. I'm just going to preach it to you. And God told me very clearly. Sometimes you prepare a message and you just preach it. But God told me very clearly, this is the message to preach today. So uh, I, I, I just enough said with that. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Okay. So I want you guys to act familiar with me, okay? Um, act like we're friends, and when I ask a question, answer it. Don't, don't leave me hanging, okay? If we were to travel back in time to the days of Jesus, don't answer Jesus. That's not the right answer in this case. We travel back to the times of Jesus, and we're going to ask someone, some group of people in the nation of Israel, uh, about how to live holy, how to, what, what the law says. And we're going to ask some group of people. What group of people would we ask? Pharisees, Sadducees, what? Zealots, okay. Scribes, anybody else? Maybe even the disciples, right? Okay, why? Because these guys had it together, right? These guys had it together. One specific group we're going to look at today because it's, it's, it's mentioned here in, in Scripture, um, the scribes and the Pharisees. Those, those two groups were, were mentioned specifically. And um, I want you to see what Jesus' opinion is of them. And then we're going to see somebody else. Now, the title of the message this morning is What Impresses God? Have you ever given that any thought? Did, did you ever think that God could be impressed? You ever thought about that God even could be impressed? I mean, come on, think about it. He created the universe. Okay. Like, my first idea of this would be God couldn't be impressed. 
There's nothing that could impress God. That's what I would think. But we see in Scripture one time where God was impressed. That blew me away. When I, when I realized I'd seen this all my life, but I'd never realized what it said. God can get impressed, can be impressed. And you can look all through you, all you want in Scripture. If you find another place in Scripture where God's impressed, write me. Tell me. Because I haven't found it yet. Okay? It's the only place in Scripture I see where Jesus, God, was impressed. He created, he spoke life into existence. The universe. I mean, man is just scratched the surface of all the wonders that God's created. And yet, Jesus can be impressed. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, so that's the title of the message. Uh, what impresses God? And there's only one point. It's the answer. So I can't give it to you until later, okay? All right. So uh, we're going to start here with John chapter 8, verse 44. And I want you to see Jesus' opinion of the scribes and the Pharisees. He says to them, he says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He is a murderer from the beginning. And abode not in truth, because the truth is not in him. When he speaketh of a, lie, of a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your mercy towards us, Lord. You loved us when we were unlovable. You forgave us when we were unforgivable, God. And then you did the unthinkable, the impossible. You made us your children. A relationship that is permanent. We thank you, Lord, and we glorify you and only you for this, Lord. No man, no religion, no organization is worthy of honor and glory but you and you alone. We, we, we recognize that you are high and lifted up today. And nothing that we can do or say adds to your glory. We just recognize you're glorious. You're a marvelous and you're loving. God, you've given us a story to tell. You've given us a reason to sing. And God, I thank you for what you've done in this church. I thank you for what you're doing, and in faith, I thank you for what you're going to do by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I'll try to be very brief, um, and my, my trying is a promise. The brief is not, okay? All right, fair, fair warning. All right, turn with me in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Matthew 23, 23. Um, we see Jesus talking to the scribes and Pharisees. And uh, I, want, I want you to see here what Jesus' response is, uh, continuing on his opinion of the scribes and Pharisees. It says, in, it says here in Matthew 23, 23, it says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe in anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith, these ought ye have done, and not leave the others undone. You see, Jesus commends them for what they did. They did do good things. He says, these ought you have done. You should tithe. You should be like this. But not leave the mercy, justice, and grace out. You did good things, but you left the important things out. Scan down to verse 27. It says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For, for ye are like unto what? Whited sepulchers. What does that mean? It says, which indeed appear beautiful outward. Again, Jesus is commending to what they look like being looking good. 
They looked good. They appeared beautiful outward, but within are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So what Jesus is describing there is a dead corpse. Have you ever seen a dead corpse? A, a dog that was hit on the road or a, a cow that was hit on the side of the road, horse, anything like that. They get all bloated and then they burst and they're full of worms and those worms just worm upon worm. And, and you, all you see is a, a, a piece of a bone through, amongst all the worms and stuff. I don't mean to gross you out, but that's the description. Put on the outside, but within within is full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness that's the description that's given here and it says again i want to reiterate jesus says that they did some good things the scribes and pharisees they were from the right family they went to the right church they had the right bible version they had the right clothes they wore the right things. They had the right haircut. They spoke the right words. Jesus is saying all those things were good. All of those things were commendable. He says these things you ought have done without leaving the other things undone. So my question for you today is, did that impress God? It didn't. He says you're a hypocrite. That's a stench to God when you worship him with your mouth, but your heart is far from him. That is a stench to God. He, he abhors that. He absolutely hates that. Romans 8, 6 says, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's the essence of what Jesus is saying here. These Pharisees, they were being carnally minded about spiritual things. They put on all the physical things of religiosity. They looked like religious people. They had the, the knowledge of religious people. They had the words of religious people. They had all the trimmings of religious people. But where was their heart? It was far from God. Their heart, they didn't worship God with their heart. The Bible says to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's the essence of what Jesus was saying to them at that time. Our works of righteousness didn't save us. Then why do sometimes we believe that our works of righteousness will keep us saved? If our works of righteousness don't save us, then why sometimes do we act that our works of righteousness will keep us saved? In Luke chapter 18, verse 8, it says, I'll just read it to you. It says, and I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. When the Son of Man cometh, when Jesus returns to the earth, he's going to peer into your home, into your heart. And he is not going to go to your bed, your, your nightstand. And look on the spine of your Bible and see what letters are on there. What version is this? It's not going to happen. That's not what Jesus is going to look at. Jesus is not going to go to your wardrobe and look and see if your wardrobe is approved. He's not going to do that. Jesus isn't going to go to your Netflix account and see what videos you watched. That's, he's not going to do that. Jesus is not going to go and, 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 and look at, at, at the decor of your home and see if it's right or not. 
You know the one thing Jesus is going to do? He's going to peer into your heart. And based on what's in your heart, whether there's faith or not, that's what he's going to judge you on. Now, do not misquote me. Do not misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not saying, I think I've been clear, but just in case, I am not saying that all those things don't matter. I'm saying that those things are the outworking of what's in your heart. And it is possible to put on all of the things of religiosity without having the belief in your heart. The Pharisees did it. Muslims do it. Their heart doesn't serve God, but how religious are they? How zealous are they? How zealous were the Pharisees? Is, can anybody honestly say today that you're as zealous as a Pharisee? There's a lot to learn from the Pharisees. Can anybody say that we tithe to the exactitude that the Pharisees did? I can't. And if you can, great. But the Pharisees, they, they tithed. They were so careful about what clothes they wore. Man. And Jesus said that they looked beautiful. Jesus said they looked good. But in the end, the question this morning isn't, isn't how, to, how to look good. That's not the question. What I'm concerned with today is one question. What impresses God? It is so easy to get caught up in the rules. It's too easy to get caught up in the rules because we're carnal and rules are carnal. And it's so easy to say, look at what I'm doing. Look at how good I look. We would never say that. That's not spiritual. But we act like that sometimes. And that doesn't impress God. I heard of a church that was built in Louisiana, $24 million. That impresses the socks off of me. They have a Starbucks in the foyer. Wow, it impresses me. I love coffee. How cool would it be to come to church in the four-year Starbucks? You guys are close. <laughs> they had conchas this morning. I can't tell you how long it's been since I've had a concha. I'm so excited about conchas. It's my favorite uh, sweet bread. They don't have it in Panama. But um, that, those things don't impress God. It impresses me, but who cares about impressing me? Who cares about impressing you? Everybody. Everybody cares about impressing those who see us. And that's not who we should be caring about impressing. What impresses God? There's only one thing. I want, I want to show you this. There's only one place in Scripture, Luke chapter number 7. Luke chapter number 7. Turn with me there in your Bibles. Luke chapter number 7. We're going to see this story where Jesus, Jesus, okay, the creator of the universe, king of kings, it can discern the hearts of men, all power, all knowing. He exists outside of time. Jesus is impressed. Significant. Mar uh, Luke, Luke, Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Now when he, he is Jesus, now when he had ended all of his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum, and a certain centurion's servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. 
And when he had heard of Jesus, he sent unto him elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. Now, real quick bonus lesson. Uh, be careful when you start to tell God who's worthy and who's not. That's what happens here. The, 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 the elders of the Jews started to tell Jesus, this guy's worthy or this guy's not. That, that, that's a huge mistake. Okay? That's for him to decide, not us. Uh, bonus lesson there. Continue on. Verse 5. And, and, um, For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Wow. Wait a second. Pause just a second right here. The Roman centurion in Israel, what was he doing? He's a Roman centurion. Rome was occupying with their armies the nation of Israel. They had conquered Israel. And they were a military might that was occupying the nation of Israel. Did he love Israel? They think he did because he built them a synagogue. In Mexico, we would call that Sirquipang. It just kept them busy with, the, with their synagogue, doing it to appease them. So that they didn't have a riot and he didn't have to use his force. Okay, this guy was smart. He built them a synagogue. Did that impress Jesus? It looks like it because in the next verse it starts, Jesus went with him. But let's see, let's, let's continue reading and see what actually happens. Verse 6, because there's no, no doubt left as to what impresses Jesus. Verse 6, it says, Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far off, not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, Trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, go, and he goeth. Unto another, come, and he cometh. And unto my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus, verse 9, don't miss this. When Jesus heard these things, he what? He what? Jesus marveled? Jesus marveled. Think, let that sink in for just a second. Jesus marveled. He marveled at him and turned about. And said unto the people that followed him. Who, who's following him? The elders of the nation of Israel. And his disciples. He turns to them. And he says. I say unto you. I have not found so great a faith. Not in Israel. Wow. So what impresses God faith faith impresses God why why is it so important for God to see that we have faith what is faith faith in its simplest of forms in the simplest description of faith is believing believing him when you have faith in God it means you believe him you trust him when he says so, you believe. This Roman centurion didn't have anything right in his life. 
He was a, he was a soldier, a, a head of a hundred soldiers, militaristically occupying the nation of God, God's people. He was oppressing God's people. You know how they hated the tax collectors? This was the guy who sent the tax collectors. This guy didn't come from the right family. He didn't wear the right clothes, didn't have the right haircut. He did not use the right Bible version. He didn't go to the right church. He didn't have a single thing right in his life. Except the one you couldn't see. There was people there that day, the nation of Israel, the, the, the elders of the nation of Israel. There were people there that day that looked good. They looked like they had it all together. If you would stand one of the elders of Israel, a Pharisee or a Sadducee or, or, or a scribe, you would stand him here today in the Roman centurion and you'd say, hey, which one of these guys is a Christian? And you could see, you could understand the implication of the kinds of clothes they wore and all that kind of stuff. You could understand. You would, you would be like, well, of course, these guys, the, 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 the Israelites, I mean, the nation of God and, and, and they're Pharisees and they know all the books of the law and, and, and they can say and they can do and look at the clothes they're wearing. I mean, obviously, those are the Christians. Those are the true Christians. But then over here, you got a soldier. It's oppressing the nation of God. But the one thing you can't see is his belief in God. When I was in Panama, I went to uh, the bus station and I, I got money out of the ATM the, uh, the, the money, I pressed all my buttons, right? And the little door opens up, and nothing comes out, door shuts. No money came out. I look at my phone, my account, like the, the $500 I wanted out of the machine went out of my account. We went down. I'm like, oh boy. So I called the bank and I said, hey, so this is what happened. I pressed all my buttons and, and it, just, it just opened the door, and no, nothing came out. Supposedly dispensed the money, but, and it went down in my account. You can see that. And they're like, yeah, I can see that. They said, sir, no problem. No problem. We're putting the money in right now. We're, 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 we're crediting your account right now for the $500. We're going to start an investigation. Within 24 hours, we'll send you an email with the results of the investigation. And you know what? It felt so good to be believed. They did. They put the money right in. I checked. Within five minutes, the money was there. And it felt so good to be believed. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm fallible. I like to be believed because it validates me. It, 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 it means that, that I, I'm valued by somebody. And, and my bank, they, they value me, and so they believed me. And I, that feels good. Why does it is so important to God to be believed? That's what faith is, believing God. Because brothers and sisters, don't miss this. Believing God is the very core of Christianity. You can put on all of the appearance of Christianity. We've already been over that, but believing God... Believing him, truly believing him is the core of true Christianity. Because if, if you believe God, then you'll, then you'll read his word. You'll believe his word. If you believe God, then you'll love God. If you believe God and you love God and you read his word, you'll obey his word. If you believe God and you love God and you, and you read his word and you obey God, then you will live like a Christian should live. The problem is, those carnal things on the outside, some people jump right into that part. God hates that. He hates it. We, look, we can look in the Old Testament, and, and sometimes they, they offered sacrifices, and their heart wasn't in the right place. God said that was a stench to him. 
He says he hates it. It's a stench. Why? Because when you don't believe God, it's offensive to his character. God's not just a truth teller. God's not just trustworthy. He is truth. Okay? He is the embodiment of truth. He is the author of truth. Truth is not there and then he speaks it. No, he speaks what is truth. He says what is truth. He is what truth is measured to. And so when you don't believe this God, it's an offense to his very nature, to his very character. That's why when he sees these Pharisees that have all the trappings, all the trimmings of Christianity, but their hearts fall from it, he screams at them, hypocrites! You look good, but you're hypocrites. But then he looks at this, at this Roman centurion, the most unlikely of people. And he says, wow. Now, he, then, then if you keep on reading, it, he gives the man a blank check. He says, be it unto you as you will. He, he heals the man. He, heal, he, he gives him what he's asking for. Why? Because of his belief. He believed God. My question for you this morning, you all look good this morning. It's a very handsome group of people here today. Amen? And I'm so grateful there's no mirrors. But you look good. My question for you is, it's not as you look good, because you do. My question for you is, what are you grasping to? What are you holding on to? What are you believing in? I, I hope and pray today it's not your works. Because those didn't save you and they won't keep you saved. It needs to be one thing. The Bible says it is impossible to please God without faith. Not just improbable or unlikely or difficult. Impossible. So either you have faith and you trust God, you believe Him. And there will be outworkings of your belief in God. Or you've put on all these beautiful things in your life. All this nice religiosity. And you're just like the good, very moral, very good-looking people, the Sadducees and Pharisees, hypocrites. It would be much better to go into eternity like the Roman centurion or the thief on the cross that believed God, but didn't have anything else right in their life, but believed God, than to go into eternity like the Pharisees had everything right in their life, but didn't believe God. It's useless. It's worthless. Very simple message, and I trust that we can take it to heart. It is a choice. Faith is a choice. You believe, you choose to believe, or you choose not to. All the other things are nice and important. Jesus said, these things ought you have done. So you should do good things. You should look right. All that, you should allow your faith in God to be an outworking in your life and to show the evidence but let's be careful to have the, the not have the cart before the horse, or not have the cart, yeah, not have the cart before the horse. Let's put faith first, and then let that work out in our lives. Let's pray, Lord God, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for this message today. Thank you, Lord, for being so clear in your word. And God, I pray that you would use this message in the lives of my brothers and sisters, Lord, to honor and glorify you in their lives. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.